0: Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Conrad Weaver from the class of 1988. Listen as he shares about his journey from a degree in psychology to producing documentaries. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein.
1: Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction. And hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein. And welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. We are nearing the completion of season eight. And I trust you've enjoyed listening to the various stories we've been able to bring to you each week, including last week's program with Coach Ken Ernie. As a little promotion, you will not want to miss next week's program with Ferris Welsh, a 1978 graduate who shares an amazing story of God's grace and mercy throughout her life. And I believe you'll be inspired by her story. And you may need to bring a tissue. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Conrad Weaver an award-winning filmmaker who is being used by the Lord to share important stories through documentaries. Conrad, who graduated from Cedarville in 1988 with a degree in psychology, also is the president of Conjon Studios, a video production company in his hometown of Emmitsburg, Maryland. I first met Conrad three years ago after the release of the documentary Heroin's Grip, which he showed on campus to the students in the School of Pharmacy during the height of the opioid crisis. It was a powerful and moving documentary, and we'll talk about that program and other documentaries today on the podcast. But for now, let me welcome for the first time Conrad Weaver to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Great to have you in studio uh, via technology, Conrad.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, it's good to get reacquainted with you. And as I looked at your portfolio of documentaries, uh, Conrad, and podcasts, I should say, I learned just how much you enjoy telling stories, impactful stories, not just stories for entertainment purposes. Here's the question. How did you get into the communication business when you earned a degree in psychology at Cedarville?
0: <laughs> That's a great question. And it's a, is a windy path to get there. You know, uh, I first you know, came to Cedarville as a pre-med student Oh, really? Thinking I was going to go into the medical field, and I soon learned that uh, making C's in chemistry and biology wasn't going to get me into med school, and so uh, I switched to psychology because I wanted to help people. I wanted to be a person who helps people, and for a number of years I did that. I worked uh, at a psychiatric hospital, and then as God moves the the plan, we I, I went into youth ministry. I spent about six years uh, in youth ministry, and then was hired by a publishing company to launch a youth ministry website called youthministry.com. And so I got into the technology side of things, and then that kind of changed, and I was hired by a church in Maryland here right. to uh, do a variety of things. And one of the things that we did there, we started doing video. And I started producing the video for the services, and we started collecting stories and telling stories uh, through, you know, for the services. And I really discovered a new passion of mine and a new skill set that i didn't realize i had while at cedarville i was a photographer i worked for the the cedars newspaper at the time called the darkroom editor <laughs> and uh head photographer and so i had you know i grew up with a camera in my hand but i never thought about making it a career until uh, we were working at this church here in maryland and people outside the church started seeing my work, and they started hiring me to do little side gigs. And pretty soon that led to a full-time business of production. And, and then I discovered documentary filmmaking. My first documentary called The Great American Wheat Har- Harvest, which we showed at Cedarville a number of years ago okay. at Farmer's Night, um, that launched my documentary career. And I found a love for telling stories that matter. And so I've been doing that since about 2010 now.
1: And we'll get into it later in the program, but that documentary earned you an Emmy award, right?
0: It did. It did. So it was a, it was a great film that tells a wonderful story. And we had the privilege of being on a PBS channel in the Midwest, uh, in Iowa, in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And, um, because we're, we broadcasted on PBS, we were qualified to apply for an Emmy and we won a regional Emmy award. So that was a really, uh, you know, high honor that I I value and I'm Mm -hmm. thankful for that. And, But more importantly, it's uh, I'm so glad people enjoyed the film and got something out of it. Absolutely. That's what I really long to do for all of my stories, all the stories that I tell is, you know, without an audience, it's just a work that just kind of sits out there. But if people can actually see it and get something out of it, then that's what's meaningful to me.
1: Absolutely. So from your experiences, what have been some of your professional secrets to communicate compelling stories, whether that's in film, documentary, or even just face-to-face
0: communication? What are your secrets? You know, I think the one secret that I think is, is a key to telling a good story is just to connect with your subject and to build a relationship. And the stories that I tell often are pretty compelling, are pretty deep, and sometimes reveal the dark side of human nature and, uh, you know, a dark side of someone's story. And for, in order to get someone to talk about those things, you have to build that relationship with them. You know, my current film that I'm I'm releasing now about PTSD, you know, right. I spent time with a firefighter. I lived with them for a week or two at a time and spending time in their house, gaining their trust. It earned me the right to ask the hard questions yeah. and it gave them the confidence that I was going to treat their story with dignity and respect. And I think that's the really key is is to build those relationships instead of just coming in with a big film crew and. Because I run lean and mean, I say, you know, it's usually just me coming into a place to to interview a subject. And that helps break down that fear of, you know, lights and cameras and right. all the stuff that can go along with production. So being small and really building those relationships are the are the key.
1: And all that, what you just said, and it's good for any profession, centers on trust. So if you can, Absolutely. If you can have the trust with the people, you can
0: tell... Compelling stories. Kind of tag on to that. When I was working on the Great American Wheat Harvest, it's an agriculture film, right? And I I earned the trust of the farmers that I work with, and I rolled in, and they were like, "You know, who's this guy? You know, he's <laughs> from Hollywood? What, what's the deal? You know, got a cameras." And I said, "Look, I was born and raised on a dairy farm. I grew up on a dairy farm. I've had manure on my boots. You know, I I understand the culture." And immediately their stress level went down. Yeah, They're like, oh, it's just Conrad. You know, it was that thing where they learned that I I understand them, and so it gave me that open door to 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 tell those stories and allow them allow me into their homes into their life right. to tell those stories. So yeah, it was definitely a trust issue.
1: So as I was preparing for today's program, I saw you st- one. You started a podcast, My Story Podcast. But as a podcast host myself, I'm interested in learning from other hosts like yourself. When did you get into podcasting and do you have a typical focus for your programs?
0: Yeah. So I started, I got into podcasting a few years ago. I became a, a fan of podcasts and I listen to a lot of podcasts while I work out, while I drive down the road, it, it keeps me awake when I'm on the road. right? And so I found a number of podcasts that I really enjoy. And, and as I started working on different films, I thought, you know what? This is an interesting way of storytelling and I'm not getting any younger. And it's harder and harder to schlep gear all over the country, all over the world sometimes. You know, with camera gears and when I'm traveling, it, it's a pain. But With podcasting, I can do it from right here. I can do it from my studio. I can do it from yeah, home. Right. And it, so I began thinking of it as a future endeavor, as a future revenue source for, for myself. You know, when I'm too old to carry cameras all over the world, I can podcast and I can build an audience. And so I just kind of tiptoed into it with uh, the first podcast called the, my story podcast, where I interviewed interesting people that I met along the route, along the way, and just have them tell their story. Yeah. And sometimes stories that are interesting that we don't think about of, you know, how did they get to where they are today? And this is the story. And then I had them talk about the life lessons they learned along yeah. the way. Yeah. What are those life, big things that shaped who you are and created the person who you are today. And so that was very fascinating to me.
1: And again, we'll get into a little more of that just in a moment, but as as a host of the Cedarville Stories podcast, and if you, if you haven't become a subscriber, I'll encourage you to be a subscriber because you can hear some great stories of people you know uh, from your years at Cedarville, but how often do you air your podcast and how much time do you spend preparing for each podcast? Because I think that's the key of a successful podcast mm-hmm. is the
0: preparation. Absolutely. And did, did, just to be full disclosure here, I've had to put both of my podcasts on hold uh, just for the last half a year or so okay. just because I was releasing a new film and getting that ready. And it was taking a lot of time. Typically for a podcast, I spend on an episode, on one episode, I spend eight to 10 hours on that episode from the, the pre-research, which can be even additional to that, uh, maybe hours on of research, and then just to connect with those guests. And sometimes, you know, I make a big ask and I've had some success that reaching out to people through Instagram through other other platforms to to, for people to say yes to, but then just the production of it, uh, the planning of it, the, the writing, the opening and the closing scripts and planning all that out. Then the interview itself, which usually for mine, they usually last around an hour Uh, and then the editing, the post-production for me can last three to four hours just in tweaking it. And it's not highly, highly produced, but I do want to clean it up and make it so it's listenable. And and interesting. So yeah, I I spend probably eight to ten hours a week on a on one episode. And for a while, I was running two shows. I was running the Explore Purpose podcast, which was formerly the My Story. Right. And then I was also running the PTSD 911 uh, presents podcast. Right. And so, taking you know, with the two shows, taking you know, sixteen to twenty hours out of my week, that took a chunk of time. So in order to finish the film i had to put those on pause and so once my uh next adventure is complete i'll be relaunching those shows uh, in a big way hopefully so
1: and you just alluded to the fact that when you started with your initial podcast it was called my story podcast and you you've rebranded yes. it to explore purpose podcast why the yes. change why the change
0: yeah so in my own journey i have discovered purpose i've discovered you know that the why behind who i am and I felt it was necessary in the podcast to, to have a, a, a stronger focus of the, uh, of my interviews. And so I now, while I still, I still tell stories of the people who come on my, on my program, I really kind of lead them to exploring their purpose. What is their, what is your purpose? Because I have I have learned that when I live with purpose, when I live out the purpose that I was created for, I can have much greater impact.
1: Yeah, and I know we will both agree that the Great Commission is our ultimate purpose here. But specifically, what well, how would you define your
0: purpose that God has given you? I really feel that my purpose is to to tell stories that matter, to be able to inspire people through the stories that I share. To, to live with purpose and, and to move people toward their purpose. So all of my films, even, even though they're, they may not necessarily be faith-based films, they have an element of faith in them. I don't shy away from that. And so I want to lead people to on a journey that helps them discover purpose. And I think that's where I'm at. That's, where, that, that's why I'm here.
1: So when you transition from all that you did before you got into the communication world, uh, what really prompted you to begin telling documentaries? Why documentaries?
0: Yeah, so my very first film, The Great American Wheat Harvest, that kind of came by, it was actually my wife's idea. So I have to give credit to her. Sure. Uh, I was reading a blog about these harvesters and I was enjoying coming from an agriculture background, as I mentioned earlier. And so I was reading this blog about these harvesters who start in Texas in May and they work their way north toward Montana or North Dakota. And I was reading the blog one day and my wife looked over my shoulder and she was like, you should make a movie about that. I was like, that's a great idea. (laughs) And little did she know that this would lead into a life of uh, documentary filmmaking. So I blame my wife. (laughs) Once I kind of caught that bug of, oh yeah, I can capture these stories and being able to tell these stories that many people had never heard about. In fact, just recently I was someplace and I was telling someone about the great American wheat harvest and they're like, that's a thing. I mean, people like live in their RVs for three months out of the year and travel. Like, yeah, that's a thing. It's like, I didn't know that. I'm going to go watch your movie. And so it was just, so that's the kind of thing that really yeah. inspires me to is to tell these stories because many of them people don't know about. And so that's uh, another motivation for me.
1: So you mentioned your wife was the uh, motivation for the one. How do you find these documentaries to, and then how do you decide which one you're going to do?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So the first one, as I mentioned, it was my wife's idea. Uh, the, the second film that I made was called Thirsty Land, and it was a story about the drought in the American West, and that came out of the great American wheat harvest. As I was coming across the country and the farmers in Kansas and in the Central Plains uh, in the years of 2012, 2013, 2014, there was a lot of drought, and all the farmers were complaining about the drought. And so I started looking into, okay, maybe this is the next story. And then again, I give tribute to my wife. I took her along to a screening event in Kansas and in the summer of 2014, it was hot and it was windy and it was dry. And the farmers were complaining about the drought. And my wife knew that I had been kind of toying with this idea of this documentary about drought. And she leaned over to me and she said, you better make that movie about the drought. (laughs) And so once again, she was the, the inspiration for this. And Uh, And those two films took me away from home for weeks at a time. And so I started then looking, okay, what's closer to home? What's something, a story that I can tell that's local? And at the time, the opioid crisis reared its head in a big way here in our local community. And actually a friend of mine let us know that her son was incarcerated uh, for dealing drugs. And it was a shock to her. And so I talked with her and she was like, hey, if we want to tell the story, let's make a documentary. And so that was local. I was able to stay at home and produce a a film called Heroin's Grip. And then it's like one film leads to the next, leads to the next. And then again, my wife, she greenlights all my films. Without her, the films wouldn't be. And without her support behind me, uh, because documentary filmmaking, while it can be very lucrative, it's it's a lot of hard work uh, to get to make any money. And so Having her with a good steady income you know really helps to uh, support our family and and without her I, I couldn't do these films it, she allows you to live your mission and live in your passion of of interest right she does and she's she's a school administrator at a local school district and assistant principal at a middle school and so she's tied down to that she's looking forward to retirement in a few years and and once that happens then we'll be traveling the world together and right. we have a passion for uh, for Ukraine and uh, we're hoping to go over there once the war settles down to to, to do some work over there so with some of the, the people that we have uh, connections with though.
1: I, I would think you'd have a great documentary coming out of Ukraine and the, the
0: stories that they could tell yeah we're, we're actually uh, there's actually something uh, in the works right now so we're kind of we're talking about that Okay, about how, what that would look like
1: so how long does it take? For you to create a documentary, from creating the storyline to completion, what's the time frame and how long? How much does it cost?
0: So I'll talk about the cost first. Generally, I put two budgets together. I put a, a dream budget together. Like, okay, if you know someone's going to come and write a great big check, this is how much it costs, and that my. So I based that on my very first film, and for the Great American Wheat Harvest, we raised about three hundred and ten thousand dollars for that film. Uh, had some great sponsors. John Deere was one of our top sponsors. And, sure. and so whenever I put together a film, I always look at who the stakeholders are and try to figure out who has the funds to help support this. My most recent film, uh, the, the PTSD, 911 one film, we have a really small budget, uh, we raised about $85,000 for that. And that basically covered my travel and that film from start to finish from the initial idea came in 2018 and we completed it last October, so October of 2022, and so that was about a four-year project that uh, took a lot of time, and and a part of that time is always spent in raising funds. And You have to you know, fly places around the country to do presentations, and that film came together just as COVID lockdowns went into place, and so I couldn't travel much, so we we shot the initial sizzle trailer all via zoom and we shot all these zoom interviews and we stitched them together with some B roll to create enough of a sizzle that we can put it in front of a funder to say yes to, uh, to writing a check to help supporting the film. And so the funds that we raised for that film, you know, God provides, when God says do something, the provisions always there. And I found that over and over again in my life. And even to this day, you know, for the past three years, I really didn't have a salary, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying that God is amazing, and His provision, it's always there. The funds are always there when we need to pay the bills, and so while I'm not getting wealthy, I have a rich life, and yeah. that means more to me than, than a whole bunch of money in the bank.
1: And you have the full support of your wife, too, which is absolutely very absolutely. meaningful. As I said in the introduction, you started Conjo Studios. Are all these... Th- these things, the documentaries, the podcasts, are those all part of Kanjo or what else does Conjo Studios produce?
0: Yeah. A, a great question. Yes. We launched the company Conjo Studios and it's, it's me, my name, Conrad, my wife's name's Jody. So we kind of combined those two names uh, to make the company. And so initially when I launched the company, I was doing a lot of corporate work. Uh, I was doing some real estate work, I started doing weddings, and I just soon found that I didn't really enjoy that, and it wasn't my thing. Yeah. And so I and I wanted to do more corporate work, and I knew that if I had weddings on my reel, that I wouldn't get corporate work. But uh, I did a lot of corporate work. I did some some work for nonprofits, uh, local nonprofits that, I, like our local rescue mission. I did work for them for ten about ten or twelve years. Uh, some other nonprofits around the country. I was invited to do some work for Greg Maddox. If you're a baseball really? fan. You know that name. Yeah. Uh, his foundation had a fundraiser every year out in Las Vegas, and they flew me out to produce video for them, all these celebrity inter- interviews, and so that was always a fun gig and for a good cause. And I've done work for you know national organizations and then local community uh, companies as well. And I really phased that out over the past uh, two or three years to exclusively focus on documentary work. I felt that if I had these other things that I was doing to supplement my income, then the documentaries wouldn't get the focus that they need. And so I decided, we decided, my wife and I decided to, let's just focus on documentaries, make those the best that they can be so that we can sustain ourselves with with an income with that. And so that's what we've done. Do, Do your documentaries
1: ever make it into a theater that we would go to or where do people see these documentaries?
0: Yes, they have. In fact, all of my films, all of my feature documentaries have played in theaters in one form or another. Uh, probably the widest uh, one was The Great American Wheat Harvest. We were in about 60, 70 theaters around the country for that one back in 2016 or 2015, something like that. Okay. And then oftentimes we do what we call four walling, a theater, we'll we'll rent out a theater for, for the night. Uh, my current film, PTSD That's we're hosting events around the country. Some of them are in theaters. Uh, all of the events or or most of the events that we have are public and people can purchase tickets to those events. So, and it's fun to go into a theater and, uh, I'll never forget. And we were in, uh, North Dakota for the great American wheat harvest and in the Capitol there and giant theater is a huge screen and it's very scary to sit in a theater and see your work blown up, you know, huge on a screen And because, you know, as a filmmaker, you always, I mean, the film is never really done. It's just abandoned. And so you always look at something with a critical eye and say, you know, on a big screen, you see all the mistakes that you made and they they become more obvious. Obviously that the audience generally doesn't notice them, but, uh, me as a producer director, I certainly do. And so having him on a big screen is always kind of a scary experience.
1: So let's go back to your, um, the great American wheat harvest. We've mentioned it a few times and that it, received, you received a regional Emmy for that work. Because of that honor, is that your most favorite documentary or what would your f- most favorite documentary be?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that film is my favorite documentary to date, not because of the award, but and really because of the friends I made. You know, I've got friends in Kansas and Nebraska and Colorado and Montana mm-hmm. and Idaho and all these places that I was able to travel to. And, and for, for all of my films, that's really what is it kind of gives me joy are those people I got to meet and became friends with. And so that film, since it was my first feature length documentary, yeah, it's kind of like having your first car, you know, your first car is kind of your favorite one in your past. And so that that's kind of my favorite. Sure.
1: So as I prepare to close today's podcast, I'd like to talk about your upcoming documentary.
0: We've talked about it, PTSD nine eleven.
1: Uh Where did the idea come from?
0: Yeah. So that film came out of Out of my previous film, Heroin's Grip. So I was working on Heroin's Grip. I was doing ride-alongs with law enforcement and fire and EMS. And the one day we were... I was with the police officer, and we were called to an overdose scene. And the overdose was a a fatal overdose. And coming onto that scene as a citizen, not something that I'm used to seeing, experiencing. And uh, But the officers and the paramedics on scene were like, it's just Tuesday. And so that was a surprise to me of how they responded and so i started researching how traumatic scenes and traumatic incidences affect first responders and uncovered this whole problem and where where suicide rates among first responders are well above the national norm uh, for for firefighters police officers dispatchers uh, they're the forgotten first responders the dispatchers are paramedics all of them have higher suicide rates than any other group in the country pretty much. And so we spent four years working on that story and, uh, really diving into what, you know, why, why do these dramatic scenes affect and how they affect first responders and, and kind of dove into, uh, into those issues. And so it, it, it's a really powerful film. So
1: we're recording this podcast in mid April and obviously it's airing today here in May. While wow, the podcast is playing today, you're out in the country riding your bicycle from from coast to coast. What made you want to ride your bike from the west coast to the east coast? And and how does that tie into PTSD nine eleven?
0: Yeah. So I've been I've I've been a weekend warrior on the bicycle for a long time, for probably 15 years. And I've had friends that have done the coast to coast ride. And it's always been one of those bucket list items for me. It's like, One day I'm going to ride across the country on a bicycle. And so as I was completing this film, I I realized that there are first responder agencies in every community in America. There's firefighters, there are police officers, there's dispatchers, there's paramedics, there's public safety in every single community in America. I said, wouldn't it be cool if we would ride a bike across the country and bring the film to all these communities that we come through? and to kind of make it a publicity thing to kind of, but then to bring this story to these communities that may not get the film otherwise. And so as this idea started percolating, I went to my good friend, John, and I said, hey, John, do you want to go on a bike ride? <laughs> he goes, sure, where are we going? And I said, well, how about Oregon to Maryland? And he goes, oh. And then he, he he thought about it for a second. He said, I'm in, let's do it. And so the two of us have been working on this for about two years, and uh, so as of today, As as we are speaking today, uh, we're just about a month away from our departure. But as this this podcast airs, uh, we will be somewhere in the western half of the U.S., someplace I think in Montana. So in 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 late May, we'll be in Montana, uh, riding across the country, stopping at cities, telling, staying at firehouses. We're staying at a lot of firehouses along the way and connecting with first responders. And if you're listening and you're on our route. Uh, please give me a shout out. I'd love to connect with you. And if you have a backyard that we can pitch our tents in, we'd love to do that as well. But uh, we're planning major events in all the major cities that we're coming through to show the film. And we're, we've are we been working on that for a long time to organize that. And I can't wait. And and part of the reasoning is not only for the PR part of it, the public relations and the, and the publicity part of it, but it's also to show that physical fitness exercise Plays a role in our mental health, and so for me, having spent the last two films, six seven years working on deep, dark mental health subjects, I needed a way to get out and just to get away from that for a while. Right. To be able to ride to see the country slow, and so that's part of my mental health journey, is to ride across the country to to renew my my brain, to refresh you know myself with, with my creator. Because we're going to be out under the stars many nights, and just to be able to have that experience, I think is going to be powerful for me personally. But then to bring the film to these communities is is going to be a really, really uh, you know amazing experience for for us.
1: Absolutely, and I want to unpack some of what you just said. So, you you gave a shout out and encouraged listeners to, to to reach out to you if if they want. How can how can people reach you while you're on your bike ride? And second part is what is your route?
0: yeah so the first part you can reach us at our website ptsd911movie.com backslash coast to coast uh or if you just google ptsd911 you'll find it and we'll have our entire route on the website Uh, it's there now where you can see where we're going to be tomorrow the next day the next day you can see every city where we're going to be um and our route we start in in Astoria, oregon uh, in early May, May 15th, we launch from there and we go to Portland. Then we go up the Columbia River to Missoula, Montana, well, kind of Columbia Snake River to in, into Idaho, across Idaho to Missoula, down across the Rocky Mountains. It's going to be our cha- most challenging part uh, <laughs> through Yellowstone. We're going to drive right through Yellowstone National Park, which is going to be amazing, down to Casper, Wyoming, to Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, uh, all the way to Omaha, then Omaha to Des Moines, Iowa, the quad cities, uh, Moline, Illinois, Peoria, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, oh. down around the Southern part of Ohio to Wheeling, West Virginia, and then to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. Then we're going to do, we're going to bypass the Allegheny mountains. The, the, the Eastern mountains are shorter, but steeper for bikes. So we're going to go on the rail trail down to the CNO canal trail yep. down through Maryland. And then uh, up around the, the Chesapeake Bay through Dover, Delaware, and down to Ocean City, Maryland is where we're going to finish the ride on July 18th.
1: July 18th is the finish date. So when you're riding, I haven't done anything similar to that. The farthest ride I've ever done is from the University of Dayton to the University of Notre Dame. That's a, that's a three- or four-day ride, much mm-hmm. minor than what you're doing. Do you have, like, SAG support uh, vehicles riding— driving along with you, or you have to carry everything and do everything yourself once you get off the bike?
0: Yeah. So we're prepared to be self-sufficient. We've got all the bags that we need to carry everything. However, we've just recently, uh, we have a corporate sponsor who is sponsoring this uh, Lighthouse Health and Wellness. Uh, It's an app for first responders. And they've come alongside of us to support us financially. But they've also, their CEO has said, you know what? I need some time away from the office. And so their CEO and his his friend are going to be our support team. So it's a car. I think I I just talked to him before we came on air today and he's looking at buying an RV. And so they're going to be our support crew along the way. He has to duck out a few times, but we've got some other people that are going to step in in his place. So we will have support, which we're really excited about we don't have to lug all the heavy yeah, stuff right on our bikes right. but uh, we were prepared to do that if we needed to and we're actually been training for that okay uh, every day we go out and ride I'm, I'm after we're done here today i'm gonna go out and do a training ride and because i know by the time this airs uh, we'll be in the middle of the mountains and i'm gonna need that training so you will you will uh, so so we're excited to have and i want to give a shout out to our bike sponsor amazing company called priority bikes that has given us two state-of-the-art belt drive bikes. They're pedal bikes, but they have a belt drive with an internal gear hub Has a 600% gear ratio. They're fantastic. They're super smooth and they're really super nice bikes I'm really excited that Priority kind of gave us these two bikes. And we are donating a third bike at the end of the tour. We're raising money throughout the tour to uh, help support first responders. And it's going to be a raffle at the end of the tour. We're giving one of these bikes away that Priority has given to us. To uh, to a winner, so we're excited about that.
1: Great cause, great purpose. I'm glad you're doing it. What's the typical mileage per day?
0: 60 miles, 100 miles. How how long will you go each day on the bike? Yeah, we're 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 averaging about 63 miles a day. So that's our goal is 63, uh, which will will make about a six hour day. We're averaging probably about 10 miles an hour. Yep. with gear and everything. So uh, so that's our. We have days that we have almost 100, and days that we have like 30. So uh, it just depends. But but the average is 63.
1: Well, I wish you well. Uh, I love what you're doing. I love your energy and your spirit. And uh, I di- I just I'll pray for safety for you and John as you guys ride. And perhaps maybe I can bring some Cedarville people down to Cincinnati when you're there. I mean, love for you to come through Cedarville, but um, obviously we're a little bit off the path.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Just a little bit off the path. But uh, yeah, would would love to have you guys join us. And even if anyone wants to uh, hop on a ride with us for a, a, a few hours. You know, during one of our days, we'd, we'd welcome that. So. Sounds good.
1: Conrad, best wishes. Thanks for doing great work in telling great stories that are not just entertainment, but they're actually serving a purpose. And uh, thanks for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Conrad.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.